I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been trying to relate to you what has been twisted in the Bible in the pulpits of America by the American preachers. Not just the American preachers, but by a worldwide preachers of the Bible. They've twisted and perverted the Bible. There's something that I've been trying to straighten out with the believer. And that is what we would call baptism. Well, hold on. Get me another pen. Baptism. Well, these. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. We do not believe in water baptism any longer. Lord's Supper. These two have been perverted into two different things. Into Christ's Mass and into what the church calls communion. Communion. The Lord's Supper and baptism have to do with one another. One another. And I'll show you that. Christmas is Christ Mass. And communion is only crackers and grape juice. I call it crackers because that's all it is. Crackers and grape juice. And I don't believe in either one of these. Grape juice. Baptism originally was an infinitive. The scholars will tell you that. Mr. Strong will tell you that in his McClinic and Strong Encyclopedias. You look up baptize and it will tell you that that baptize was originally a verbal noun. A noun is a person, place, or thing. In our society, baptize is not a noun. It is a verb. How in the world did that happen? When the scholars came across the word baptizo, they did not know what to do with it. Mr. Girdlestone tells us they did not know what to do. Mr. Girdlestone was Robert Baker Girdlestone. Robert Baker Girdlestone. Girdlestone was a great scholar here back a couple of hundred years ago. And he says that when they got to baptize, they didn't know what to do with it because it was a verbal noun or an infinitive. Let me explain the difference between an infinitive and a verb. A verb shows action. A verb, you've got different kinds of verbs. You've got, you've got being verbs And you've got action verbs. 
baptize was they turned it into an action verb. A verb shows action or state of being under being verb. State of being. State of being. And that would be like be, is, am, are, was, were, was, were, being, been, have, has, had, do, does, did, shall, will, should, would, may, might, must, can, could. Those are all the being verbs. An action verb shows action, like jump, run, throw, or should I say baptize, where they dip people in water. Baptize, where they show an action. What is an infinitive? It is a noun. It actually shows an action of a fluid coming from an outer source. From an outer source upon the subject. It's it's a it's actually blood coming from an outer source upon the person and aspersing to asperse. What really amazes me, you can take a strong concordance. Asperse means to spread something over. Doesn't mean to dip. It does not. I don't know what to, I don't know how, how you preachers are going to get around that. To asperse. And when you look up baptize in a strong concordance, it will say, baptize, here's what it will say. It will say, to whelm. To whelm does not mean to dip. It means to spread something over a subject. It means to asperse. It don't mean to dip. And then it comes from It'll tell you, see, it'll give you a number, and it'll say, Bapto, B-A-P-T-O. And Bapto will say, to, this is in your concordance. It will say, to stain or to die. And Mr. Girdlestone, along with Mr. Strong, will tell you, that was a household term that women used to stain and dye clothes. That's what it, it was used that way. So, babto means to cover with a stain or with a dye. That's what it means. Where are you going to find true baptism in the Bible? In Revelation 7. Revelation 7. Revelation 7, the Bible says... There's a multitude around the throne of God. And the angel comes and asks John, the beloved, says, Do you know what these people are? He says, No, I don't know you. You know, angel, you tell me. He he says, These are those who made their robes, robes white in the blood of Christ. He's washed us from our sins in his own blood in Revelation, the first chapter, verse 6. I believe it's 6, or it's 5 or 6. It means our robes have been made white in the blood of Christ. That's true baptism. It's blood. 
when Jesus, when Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 5, there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There's one baptism. What happened to the water and what was it? It was a proselyte baptism. That would bring men into Israel. It was proselyte. A proselyte. A proselyte was a Gentile who wanted to become come to Israel and become a member of the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, and that was another title for Israel. Because God was their king. And that was Israel. That's why Jesus was called King of the Jews. Israel was called Kingdom of God. And proselytes or Gentiles had to, number one, they had to be circumcised. Number two, they had to been washed in water. And number three, they had to offer two turtle doves at the temple. And that made them, that was a naturalization process. And people say, well, why was Jesus washed in water? Because, I don't know how I got off on this. Why was he washed in water? The the uh, Pharisees knew that he was raised up here in Samaria. I'm going to try to make this real simple. They knew he was raised in Samaria. Samaria was northern Israel. They knew he was raised up here in the land of Zebulun. In the state of Zebulun was the small village of Nazareth. He was Jesus of Nazareth. You can see that over here in this, in this, right here. You see Zebulun? Nazareth was so unimportant and they didn't even put it on the map. It was considered a place of filth. It was like saying Jesus was from the septic system. That's what it was like saying. That's why Nathaniel said when Andrew came up, someone said, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel said, can any, said, where is he from? Andrew said, Nazareth. He said, can any good thing, this is Nathaniel, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding? And that's when Jesus said, looked at Nathaniel and pointed at him and said, Behold a man in whom is no guile. He doesn't speak with trickery. He says the truth. That's what everybody thinks about Nazareth. So, but the Pharisees did not know that he wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in Judah. And that's the only place the Pharisees would have anything to do with. They wouldn't step foot in Nazareth. They said, no sir, we're not going to go there. Why? Because when the Assyrians, the Assyrians came from Assyria between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, 
when they came in to carry northern Israel away into captivity because of their worship of Baal in the grove, here's Nazareth here. When they came in from up here to carry away northern Israel into captivity, they settled there, moved some of their soldiers there, and they set up all kinds of companies of soldiers and the soldiers intermarried with the women of northern Israel and raised their children with a mixture of Jehovah worship and Baal and grove worship. So they had a mixed religion in northern Israel and the Pharisees lived in southern Judah and said we won't even step foot up there. So they thought Jesus was raised in, they thought he was born in Zebulun or in Nazareth, but he wasn't. He was born in southern Judah. So he's not going to, Jesus is not going to argue with the Pharisees. He's just going to simply, they had a law in their halakha that if you would go through this process, circumcision, washing water, and two turtle doves, of course, circumcision and two turtle doves was a requirement in the law. And they simply took the brazen sea, the brassy sea, in front of the temple. That's where they would wash in water and then they'd go offer their sacrifices at the altar, and then they'd come back and wash their hands and their feet. They took that sea and put it into their naturalization process. So when Jesus went to, when he went to John the Baptist on the Jordan River here, and told John, let's fulfill all righteousness, let's fulfill the righteousness of the Pharisees. If you'll dip me in water, they'll have to listen to me. They had that in their law, in their halakha. So he said, if we'll do that, they can't reject me just because they think I was born up here in Nazareth, and I wasn't. He's not going to prove to them that he was born down here in Bethlehem of Judea, in Bethlehem and Judea. He's not going to prove that. He's going to say, we'll do something that they'll have to accept because they say they'll have to accept me if I go through that process. That's why John said in the first chapter of John, therefore am I come baptizing with water that Christ might be made manifest to Israel. It wasn't so he could set an example for us. So one baptism... When he says there's one baptism, that was in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians 4. If there's, that was around 55 A.D. What happened to this water and all the other washings? They washed all their vegetables in water and did it with a... It was a ritualistic process. What happened to that? That disappeared back in 33 A.D. When Paul said there's one baptism, that was around 55 A.D., writing to Ephesus. In 33 A.D., Jesus was nailed to the cross. Nailed to cross. And in that nailing to the cross, Colossians 2.14 
the Bible says blotting it's really amazing what the Bible says go back to Colossians 2.14 we got to look at this Colossians 2.14 right before the Colossians was a church over in Colossians 2.14 Colossia was a church over on the western end of what we call Turkey. Western end of Turkey. Let's get over there to that. Okay. Colossia was a church right in this area right here. This is called Asia Minor. That's Turkey. Let me see if I can get a picture. Here it is right here. Colossia. Here's Colossia. It wasn't one of the seven churches of Asia. (coughs) Here's Colossia right there. It was a Gentile church. So Paul is writing to these Gentiles. Before Jesus was nailed to the cross, they would have been circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves in order to become a member of Israel over here on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. That was Colossians right there. And here's what he says to the Colossians. You no longer have to be circumcised, washed in water, and offered two turtle doves because he says it right here. He says here in Colossians 2... But before I read verse 14, let's read verse 11. And whom also, writing to the Colossian Gentile church, at one time they would have had been circumcised, washed in water, and two turtle doves. So he says to them, And whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, not a literal circumcision anymore, a circumcision of the heart. This is gone now. And he says that in verse 14. In putting off the body of sins, that's not to be circumcised of the male genital did not put off the body of sins. Circumcised of the heart put off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Christ circumcises our hearts. Buried with him, buried with him in baptism. He is mentioning circumcision and the washing in water. Buried with him in baptism, wherein you are risen with him through the operation, to the faith of the operation of God. How are we risen with him? Daily, because we died daily. Resurrection, anastasis means to come to life after dying. And anastasis is feminine gender. That's the common word resurrection. All through, And that's feminine gender. That's talking about the church, the wife, the bride of Christ. As you die daily, you're resurrected daily. And that's what this is talking about. Buried with him in baptism where you're risen with him. Through the faith, which is death to self, daily, through the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You haven't been circumcised in the flesh. That's not going to make you a member of the kingdom of God anymore. 
hath he quickened together with him. You're not even circumcised. And he's quickened. Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. Made zoo alive. Zoo, you go to the zoo, see living animals. Having forgiven you all trespasses without circumcision. You couldn't be in literal Israel without being circumcised if you were a Gentile. Now he said it's all spiritual. What happened to it? He tells you in the next verse. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. It was contrary to us. Took it out of the way. Nailing these rituals to his cross. I've said it a thousand times in the last year. This had very specific meaning. You can find out what nailing it to his cross in Lightfoot's commentary on, on this chapter. You can also find out under the C volume contract when you look up contracts, they perform their contracts. When she, Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament, there we're going back to what they corrupted and called Christmas. Therefore, he says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. The word testament is the word diatheke. Diatheke is the word testament. And any time you find the word covenant in the New Testament, covenant, they are the same exact word, covenant. Covenant is the word diatheke. Testament is diatheke. Diatheke means last will and testament. I keep saying, when you wanted to do away with an old law and start a new one, a new law, and the Bible says this is not even the old, a new law. It's just a form of the old law. The law came in two parts, the spirit and the letter. You can see that. Many places in the New Testament, you can see it in Second Corinthians, the third chapter, where the Bible said, The Spirit, the letter killeth, and the letter was the rituals, or the ordinances. Now the Bible says all the Old Testament had ordinances, that was when they would have to go to the temple and they would they would perform all these rituals on either on that 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 brazen altar or the brazen sea brassy sea it was called the glassy sea or the high priest coming in here in the holy of holies on Nisan 14 uh, excuse me not Nisan 14. He came in there on Tishri, which is September, October, and sprinkled the Ark of the Covenant on Tishri 10, 
Nisan Tishri 10, and he would sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant. And now our hearts are sprinkled. The the seven candlesticks is the church, seven churches of Asia. There in, in Revelation, the first chapter, verse 21, the altar of incense is the prayers of the saints. That is our ordinances in the New Testament. We're the temple of God. We're the house of God. The inner sanctuary was called God's house because he lived there on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the table of showbread, we being many are one bread and one body. And that has to do with the Passover. Notice how these things click together. They just blend and synthesize together. The Passover and baptism synthesize. They blend together like that. And then, so you had these, you had these, when you want to do away with one contract, let me say it one more time. You took the two contracting parties out in public that had the original contract, they had an agreement. It's like, it's like having, having, selling a house. I sold real estate for years. And you have the buyer and the seller agreeing on what the price of the house is. And the buyer signs a contract and the seller signs a contract. And they perform it. Well, there had to be two witnesses to these contracts. You find that in among the Jews in Numbers 35, Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 19. The two witnesses are required. So they'd take the two contracting parties out in public, say, we're going to invalidate that contract. They'd say, yes. And get the two witnesses to agree. They'd say, yes. You're going to get this out of McClinic and Strong under contract. You're going to get it out of Lightfoot's commentary on the book of Colossians. They'd say, yes, and they'd take a nail and drive it through it like we would take a notary stamp and crush a paper and put and put indentions in it. That's how they, and that held up in their courts of law. And it says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. There's two ordinances, two dogmas. The word, two dogma. You had the literal over here. That was the letter that killed because they couldn't keep all of that. Then you had the spiritual. And we are the temple of God, the spiritual. Now let me take you over here to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Hebrews 9. I'm going to show you that there was a ordinance, brought out the handwriting of ordinance, which is contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And he tells that to a Colossian church. He's blotted out those things you have to do, literally. Letter. Now look here in Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9, verse 1. Then verily, the first diatheke, covenant the first last will and testament had also ordinances had also ordinances dogma 
They had rituals over here in the Old Testament. That was what was blotted out. Had ordinances of divine service and worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table of showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So you have, let me put it in larger. You had the temple and the the first. When it says the first, it means the one you came into first. When the priest came into the temple, here's where they came to. We're talking about testament, which is what the Roman Catholics turned into the mass and the Protestants turned into crackers and grape juice. It's just as bad to turn it to crackers and grape juice as it is to turn it into the mass. It's adding to the Word of God. Don't believe in that. Now you had the temple. You had the veil, veil, the candlesticks, table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the Ark of the Covenant, which was called, it was called the throne of God all through the book of Revelation. Anytime you see throne... He comes down out of the cloud, sits on the Ark of the Covenant. He's married to Israel. And this inner sanctuary is called the house of God. Because it means to dwell in a house. He lived here. And the Bible says in Hebrews 3.6, Christ as a son over his own house... Oikos, a place to dwell, whose house are we, the church? So if we are the spiritual house of God and he lives inside of us just like he lived inside the Holy of Holies, that was called the house of God. That's a picture of us, believers. And then the Bible says the veil in Hebrews 10, Hebrews 10, and you go into in verse 16 that you enter into 16 through 22 we enter in by a new and living way through the veil that is to say his flesh so the flesh the flesh equals the veil. Whatever the flesh is. Well, if you look over here, you got the brassy sea here, you've got the the altar, and all of that is right here. Let me get back to it. Alright, here it is right here. This is the sea the, the priest would wash at the sea. You can see little spigots come out of here of water. And they would go over here to the altar and offer sacrifice and come back and wash in the sea. 
The sea is a picture of us washing in the blood of Christ, or us being washed in the blood of Christ. Now, let's get back to Hebrews 9. You notice that we're connecting baptism. The Ark of the Covenant was sprinkled with the blood. That's a picture of baptism. There's an aspersion or a whelming of the altar, which is a picture of our hearts. Remember, an infinitive means it's a noun. Let me say this about an infinitive. Infinitive comes from the word infinite. When something is infinite, it means it's from now on. Once you're once the Ark of the Covenant is sprinkled with the blood of the goat on the Day of Atonement, you'll find that in Leviticus, the 16th chapter. Once it's sprinkled, it's permanently sprinkled. Well, they had to sprinkle it every year, but our hearts are permanently sprinkled, and there's no more sacrifice for sin. That's it, one time. And it's permanent from now on. It's infinite. That's why when you wash somebody in the blood of Christ, it's not undone at all. When you come up out of a water baptistry, when it dries out, it's undone. So it's infinite from now on. So is the Ark of the Covenant. Our hearts are sprinkled there in Hebrews 10.22. So everything... Over here, in the New Testament, this is spiritual temple. We are the temple of God. Our hearts are the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 1 and 2, you're not even going to understand this, reading the Bible, if you don't know something about true baptism is blood. And it has to be an aspersion. Do you understand what I'm saying by asperse? Asperse means to sprinkle a covering upon a subject and the movement is only on the part of the fluid. That's it. So when you come up with the part was on the part of the fluid by the high priest who came in. Who's the high priest over this temple over here? Melchizedek. That's Christ. And He comes in, sprinkles our hearts, and First Peter 1 and 2 says, We elected unto... Here's what our election is unto. Unto obedience. And people say you don't have to obey God. And then it says, The sprinkling of blood. A blood baptism was a death. It was a martyrdom. When Jesus looked at James, John, and Mark 10, He says, Can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? I'm going to die tomorrow the next day. Can you die that martyr's death? Can you drink that cup? Drinking a cup is not communion. 
It is true communion. Communion is the word koinonia. That's also the way partaker. Partaker. And it's the word fellowship. Paul said that I may know him in Philippians, the third chapter. He said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, the communion of his suffering. Suffering does not mean to drink a glass of grape juice and eat a cracker. Doesn't mean that. It means to die daily. How do you do that? You tell people the truth about Christmas is paganism. You tell them predestination is true. Free will is a lie. That's what Martin Luther said. He said free will is a downright lie. And it is. If Martin Luther do what he did to his name in the Lutheran church, he would turn over in his grave. Martin Luther believed in predestination, the sovereignty of God. That's why I left the Roman Catholic Church. That and the indulgences, you could go to the Roman Catholic priest on Monday and pay for an indulgence you're going to commit on Friday when you're going to try to go to bed with some woman at some pub, some bar. But you could pay for that on Monday. Luther said, I don't like that. So he left the Catholic Church, nailed them. 96 theses to the door at Wittenberg, Germany of the Roman Catholic Church with his complaints against Roman Catholicism. And they came after him with both feet. He thought he was going to die under the persecution of the Catholic Church. So, the sprinkling of blood, that has to do... Let me get back to this ninth chapter of Hebrews. And there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick. The candlestick. This is the first tabernacle. The first one you go into when you come through Solomon's porch. You come in here. So you had the candlestick and the table and the showbread. You had the showbread here. Which is called the sanctuary. This is called the sanctuary. That's what it's talking about. How can you even read this without understanding the temple? It has the same floral plan as the tabernacle. There's a picture of over yonder. And after the second veil, here's the veil right here. That's the second veil because you had one coming in. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, that is this area. The reason it's the holiest is Christ came down and sat on the on the throne or the Ark of the Covenant or the mercy seat. And that's where he would have to the high priest would have to look through the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, and that was the forgiveness because that was the death of the Passover goat, which is a picture of Christ. Then he says, which had the golden, he said that was the holiest, which had the golden censer. The censer was, it was a cup shape with a 
handle on it. It was made of gold. Everything that was used inside this, this was beaten gold, the seven candlesticks, beaten gold, the table of showbread, beaten gold, the altar of incense, beaten gold, the Ark of the Covenant. These outside were made of brass. Some say that it was something like copper. We don't know what it was. Brass. That was the altar where they offered the sacrifices. All this was gold, these four inside there, to show the purity of God. Then he says, The Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot of manna. Manna was the bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread come down from heaven. And he said, the bread is the body. The bread is the... We being many are one bread and one body. And the body is the... The Bible says this. The bread is the flesh. The veil is the flesh. And the flesh is the bread. And the bread is the body. And the body is the church. And he says in that sixth chapter of John, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he says, the, the flesh, we've already said, the flesh is the veil. This is a picture of us right here, the inner sanctuary, because Christ lives in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He lives in us. This is a picture of us. And He lives in us. And inside that Ark of the Covenant was the was Aaron's rod that budded. And we have a rod of righteousness. That rod is called Rabdos. And that's a ruling rod. Ruling rod. And we rule with the scepter of righteousness. Righteousness, this is Hebrews 1 and 8. 1 8. Righteousness is euthus, or euthithame. And it comes from you, and tithame. Tithame means a well leveling. It means bowing to the will of God. That's how we rule people. And that's a scepter or a rabdos of righteousness. Then... Inside the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod. That's what we have in us. We're priests of God. And there was the a bowl of manna. And Jesus said, that's me. Manna. Ark of the Covenant. Let's read the rest of that. And he says, there was a pot of manna. Aaron's rod had budded. And there was the table of the law inside the Ark of the Covenant, which shows that has to be our hearts. And upon this table of the law was written in tables of stone the Word of God, and that was what was blotted out, was the rituals of the Old Testament. And we have written in our hearts, in fleshy tables of our hearts. So all of this ritual was blotted out. But it's all alive and well 
in the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law. And the handwriting of ordinances of this was blotted out. Now it is Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart, and circumcision is of the heart. Now let's finish reading this in Hebrews 9. The tables of covenant, and over it the cherubim of glory showing the mercy seat, shadowing the mercy seat. So above the mercy seat, this is the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant, were two cherubim with their wings stretching off and reaching to the side of that house of God. And it's describing it to us. All of that was spiritual, was literal, and not spiritual. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained in the old covenant, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. That's this, this, the first tabernacle. Nobody but the high priest, a son of Aaron, or Aaron himself, went in on the Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month, September, October, went in here to sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant, and that's a picture of Christ. Coming in and sprinkling our hearts in this house of God, which house are we? Verse 7. But into the second temple in here, into the second went the high priest only, alone, once every year, on the tenth day of the seventh month, the seventh month was Tishri, our month September, October. Once every year, not without blood. He had to go in with the blood of the goat that was offered on this brazen altar, this brassy altar, which he offered for himself and for the errors, the sins of the people. Verse 8 is extremely important. The Holy Ghost, this signifying, Delao, D-E-L-O-O, that's the word signify, means to make plain by words or to declare. God's going to make plain that the way, the hodos, into the holiest was not made manifest. It was not made plain while as the first tabernacle was standing because all that had to be blotted out when Christ was nailed to the cross and now everything that was once literal is now spiritual because the literal, the fleshly kills but the spirit gives life. We have to accept that we are the inner sanctuary and the outer sanctuary with the candlesticks is the church and these are the prayers of the saints, the altar of incense and the table of showbread. We being many are one bread and one body. 
So he said, the old had to go. But it didn't mean the law went. You can't go out and kill. You can't covet. You can't steal. The law is stronger today. I love a verse over in Romans. In Romans, the third chapter, the last verse. Third chapter. Romans 3. Verse 31. Do we make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Everything that was once literal is now spiritual, including the Passover. The Passover is not crackers and grape juice. The Passover is the last will and testament. Let me erase this and put this down. This is what the Passover is. And it has to tie together with this ninth chapter of Romans. Everything in the Old Testament equals the New. The Old Testament was a shadow of good things to come and not the very image. The image, the icon is the New Testament spiritual law of God. We are that temple. Anytime God says, no, you're not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, He's talking about this. This over here has been blotted out. Now everything's alive and well in us, including the Passover, which they've taken and turned into Christmas and communion. They've turned it all into that. What they had to do, according to Malachi, the third chapter, what they had to do was to mutate God's law in order to get that. They had to mutate it. Look here in Malachi. Malachi, the third chapter. Third chapter. And look there in Was the Passover a judgment of God? Yes. It was the tenth plague when Moses was going to leave Egypt And he says, when I see the blood, you can't have the Passover without having blood. You have to have the death of a Passover lamb. He says here in Malachi, the third chapter, in verse 6, concerning the judgments of God, I will come near to you in my judgment. In verse 5, then verse 6 says, I am the Lord. I change not. Shana is the word change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Change shall not means to mutate or actually transmute. Transmute means to change from one thing into another. Was God's judgment the Passover? Yes, sir. When he, sa- he said, when I see the blood of the dead goat, 
I will pass over you are the dead lamb. I'll pass over. And I won't won't destroy you. To have a Passover, he had to see the blood. Our hearts are sprinkled instead of the Ark of the Covenant sprinkled. Our hearts are the Ark of the Covenant. Indiana Jones can stop looking for it. That's a dumb thing. It's not a literal thing anymore. It's our hearts. Our hearts are sprinkled. It means to transmute or duplicate. You cannot take the four items at the Passover, a lamb without blemish, four cups, uh, bitter herbs, Unleavened bread for seven days. These were the items of the Passover. You cannot mutate them into the mass or crackers and grape juice. The Passover was here in Exodus 12 and the Bible says it will be here in every generation forever. How is it forever when Christ was nailed to the cross and he blotted out all the literal which killeth but the Spirit gives life? How is it it's here now? To drink of a cup meant to undergo a death. And that is our last will and testament. Remember Testament, Diathike. Diathike means last will and testament. But to have a testament, there has to be a death of the testator. So when Jesus was telling his apostles, this cup, I've given you this. You can look up cup in McClinic and Strong and he'll tell you that to drink of a cup meant to undergo a violent death or to taste death. When Jesus said, can you drink the cup that I drink of? And when he said, "Let Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. That's the way we're supposed to pray. Instead, we say, Lord, take away my, take away my, my problems, my my problems with my marriage, my problems with money, my problems with a job. I want a better job. Do you realize how fortunate we are here in America? You got a job, working a job, and there are little, there are a billion Chinese living in a dirt floor hut, and they're treading a rice paddy all day long for sixteen hours a day. How would you like that? It's all the will of God. We don't pray for what we want. Now, go back. In fact, before I leave chapter 9, we're talking about not crackers and grape juice, not a, not a, we're talking about a testament, last will, and testament. We're not talking about, Jesus said, when you drink this cup, He says, my 
Flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. When you eat flesh and drink blood, you drink indeed. You don't drink of a cup of grape juice. Indeed, it's the word alethase. Alethase comes from lanthano, which means to hide or lie hid or conceal. And when the alpha privative, the first letter of a Greek alphabet, is in front of a word, it negates the word and gives an opposite meaning. It means not to hide anything or not to conceal anything. That's what truth means. Truth, aletheia, is a form of of truth, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. It means not to hide anything. So when you drink of a cup, you die to self, you use great plainness of speech, plainness, parhesia, P-A-R-R-H-E-S-I-A, means to be blunt to the point. Don't be abrasive. Just be pointed in what you got to say. How do you witness to somebody? Be blunt and to the point. Straightforward. That's how you witness. You don't just come up and say, I'd like to talk to you about the Lord, but I don't know how to do it. Uh, you know, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? Good grief. Tell them the truth. Tell them they have to repent of sin. You don't have to be harsh and hard when you say it. Say, repentance is the key to salvation and to eternal life with Jesus. You have to believe Him and do the things that He says. Be obedient to Him. We're elected to obey Him and the sprinkling of a blood baptism. That's the death to self. Notice how they all just flows together. Now, i got to read this. He's talking about, in verse 9 of chapter 9 of Hebrews, he says, all of the Old Testament was a figure. Parabole. The word figure is the same word as parable. P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E. It comes from para, which means near, and balo means to throw down beside. Balo is our word ball. It means to throw. Throw near. Lay something right down beside. The Old Testament was a parable. That's what he's saying in this verse. Parabole. It was just something. Para means near. We get our word parallel from that. The Old Testament was a parable of what's going on in our lives as believers. It was a parabole for the time then present, and it's blotted out now, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices on that altar they were washing in that brazen sea. That was called the glassy sea. When you got a glassy sea, it was made of the looking glasses of the women. Over there in Exodus, I believe it's the 38th chapter, Moses said to the women, bring all of your looking glasses. They didn't have the spun glass like we have, where you can look at a mirror. They had polished brass. They looked in it to make themselves up. He told all the women, bring your looking glasses so I can make this brazen sea. You can find the sea in the 7th chapter of First Kings. 
and find the glassy sea. So when you find the glassy sea in Revelation that's in front of the throne, it's talking about this. It's not talking about there's a sea of glass in some heavenly place in Jerusalem somewhere. The Bible has its answers in the Old Testament. When those priests of Aaron cast their crowns at the feet of him that sits upon this throne in the New Testament, that's Melchizedek here. And they say we're no longer worthy to to judge this. We could judge this law over here, but not this one that's written on fleshy tables of the heart. We acquiesce and give our authority to him that sits upon the throne of the heart, which is Christ Melchizedek. He's a priest forever after the order. Order means means a fixed succession of people. Now, so let's read on down through this. I don't know what got me on this, but it's still the same thing they polluted into Christmas and and crackers and grape juice. They were offered both gifts and sacrifices. He's talking about the sacrifices they offered on that altar. And all the sacrifices they brought to offer, offer, all the individuals would bring lambs and bring whatever was required by God and extra offerings if they desired to do so. They could make, that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to his conscience, offering all these sacrifices in the Old Testament, won't clean their conscience. Which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse various kinds of washings and carnal ordinances. That word ordinance is the same word, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. So they had all kinds of ordinance over here. That was what was blotted out. Not the New Testament spiritual. Carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. Deorthosis. D-I-O-R-T-H-O-S-I-S-D-I. O-R-T-H-O-S-I-S. You see that word orthosis? You go to an orthopedic doctor of the foot to straighten the foot. That means straightening. The time of reformation means to straighten thoroughly. That's spiritual straightening. It's not talking about literal straightening of the feet. The orthosis, reformation, but Christ being come and high priest into this temple, not this one over here. Over here was Aaron. Over here is Christ, the one high priest. You can read Hebrews 7 and read all about him. Hebrews the 7th chapter. And all the the tithe was given to these priests over here. And the Bible says there has been a transfer to the preachers over here. You can find that in First Corinthians 
the ninth chapter, Hebrews the seventh chapter, there was a transfer. I don't have time to go into that. Do I believe in tithing? Yes, that's the only way we get along and the way we live. It's the only way of paying all the bills and paying all the salaries of all the people. So we can continue to do this work all over America and all over the world. Christ being come a high priest. He talks about the high priest Melchizedek in the 7th and 8th chapter of this book. Christ being come a high priest of good things to come. That's over here. Of good things. This is not a temple in heaven somewhere someday. The temple is us. We are the house of God. The inner sanctuary. Our hearts are sprinkled. Instead of a literal ark of the covenant. This is really basic like building blocks. It's not hard to understand. If you study the details of it. You can't understand Hebrews without understanding the Old Testament. Then he says. Not made with Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by greater and more perfect tabernacle. Like the word tabernacle. Skews. S-K-E-U-S. And it comes from the word skine. Means a wife as useful to the husband. That's the church. That's the New Testament temple of God over here. It's a wife that's useful to the husband. Not made with hands. This one over here was built by Solomon. This one over here is built by God. Not made with men's hands. It's you and I are the temple of God. Then he says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Over here, on this this altar over here, which is a cross of Christ, and it's a daily cross for us, do we die daily over here? It was the blood of bulls and goats. Without understanding the temple equals the temple, this temple over here equals this, but this one's blotted out. And this one is here forever, and that's us. Neither by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood he entered in once into the Holy of Holies. He entered in once, sprinkled our hearts, says that in the 10th chapter, in verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies by the, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, word way is hodos. It means it's, there's two ways, a hodos, a narrow way. I'll get it right in a minute. There's a narrow hodos. A narrow way and a broad way that leads to destruction. And many are going into the broad way and few enter into the narrow way. Narrow is a form of tribulation. 
narrow is the word, thalibo, and tribulation is the, is the verb form, thalipsis, <clears throat> or it's the noun form, thalipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. That's the word tribulation. So we enter in by a new and living way through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and we're back to the truth. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And my flesh is meat indeed, aletheis, which means of truth. My blood is of truth. So you, he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And the Mass is daily. In every Catholic church, Roman Catholic church, they have Masses all the day long. And they call Christ the victim in the Mass, and He dies all day long. In every Roman Catholic church, if you're in New York City, and they got big Catholic churches, they may have five or six Masses all through the day, so all these people can come in and partake of the sacrament of the Mass, which they claim turns the, turns the cracker into the body and blood of Christ. And over here in the 10th chapter, the Bible says, here in verse 10 of the 10th chapter, well, let's read verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God, and take away the first testament. In the Old Testament, the first temple, that he may establish the second, which is the spiritual temple of God, which is us, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's it. He's not offered every day long in the Mass in Catholic churches. It's not true. The problem is people are unwilling to say that. Once for all. Let's read on in that 10th chapter. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. Every day they offered sacrifices over here. And the Roman Catholics do that daily. And that can never take away sin. But this man Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice, not a daily mass, sat down by the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool for by one offering his death on the cross he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified one offering the mass is a lie the rituals are a lie the crackers and grape juice as communion is a lie communion is death to self daily cross and then he says, verse 13, For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. 
I love the word conscience, sunidesis. S-U-N-E-I-D-E-S-I-S. S-U-N-E-I-D-E-S-I-S. That's the word conscious. It comes from soon and ido. That means to see with. Soon means to accompany with. It has to do with the inner and the outer man. How that the outer man is going to be compelled to see with Christ that the outer man has to die. And that's the two witnesses. By two witnesses are we commanded that the outer man has to die. So he gets our vote that we have to die over years of fire and trial and persecution. Now let's read the next verse. I don't know what I... I wasn't intending to get into this chapter, but it's about what we're talking about because it goes on to talk about the testament and that's the drinking of the blood drinking of blood was against God's law that was an old ancient idiom to eat flesh and drink blood of the Jews Jesus said when you eat my flesh and drink my blood you partake in a slaughter and the church is being slaughtered daily because they hate the real truth about the method of salvation is belief. It's not accept Christ and it's not sinner's prayer. It's death to self, daily cross, and self-denial. That's what it is. You're not a Christian. You're not going to heaven if you're not denying self and you don't own up to your own sin. I have been the biggest sinner of anybody in this group here. I am so ashamed of my past. That's what I want to hear preachers say. I want to hear John MacArthur say that. I don't ever hear him say that. He never implicates himself in his sin. I don't believe he's even been exposed to sin like I have. Most people haven't. I have sang in over 250 nightclubs across America. You want to sing in a nightclub, I can tell you. Sin. That's what's there. Nothing but that. I know all about it. You haven't been anywhere I haven't been. I don't care who you are. The temptation has been unbelievable. How much time do I have, Mike? I'm not going to get through all this. I've got to come back and keep on working on it. I'm not, to me, a message is not this long and this wide. It's a continual teaching in something. This thing of Christmas, Christ's Mass, is supposed to be drinking blood and eating the flesh. I'm trying to tell you what it is. It takes me months and months and months to go through this. And if you want to know what it was about, you've got to go back two months to start where the Christmas message is started. In fact, you've got to go back further than that. You've got to watch all these things that I'm teaching. This is not the end of it in this chapter. This is just one chapter on it. Then he goes on to say, if the blood of bulls and goats over here in the Old Testament on that altar there, if the blood of bulls and goats, goodness, that reminds me of the next chapter. The law having a shadow of good things to come, verse 1. 
not the very image, icon, can never, with these sacrifices of bulls and goats, which they offered year by year, continue to make the commerce there too perfect. And he says in verse 4 of chapter 10, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It was a ritual. It was a dogma. It was an ordinance that they did. It was preceding Christ, pointing to Him in our hearts. How much more, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause He is the mediator of the New Testament. He is the mediator of the New Testament. There is a new last will and testament. And testament. And there is an old last will and testament. Will and testament. And that was what they offered over here. But they were looking forward to Christ coming in this new temple, which temple we are. And then he says, He is the mediator. Mediator means a go-between. It means a go-between between God the Father and between us is the mediator. It's a go-between. That's what you call a lawyer. It's a lawyer. Many words of that in the text. It's one who's a go-between between God the Father and us. There has to be a go-between that sprinkles our hearts. It's a, and then he says, he's a mediator of the New Testament, not the old. The old points to him in our hearts, in our lives. Now, where was I? Fifteen. For this cause, for all the things that we just said, he's blotted out everything. And there's no way into the new until we get to the spiritual. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, under the Old Testament, our sin, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal, those only the called will receive the promise of eternal inheritance, kleronomia. Inheritance. Kleros means a, a, a portion, and nomos means lawful, or the law portion. The law portion, nomos is the Greek word law, 
And that's our legal portion because he died for just the certain few. For where a testament is, there must also be of necessity be the death of the testator. So when he took the cup and blessed it, the third cup of the Passover was called cup of blessing. And Paul says the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And that doesn't mean to drink literal blood or drink of a Roman Catholic cup or drink communion. It means to death to self. And that's the last will and testament. Christ has got a covenant or a last will and testament for us. And that last will and testament says you have to drink the cup and die daily to this worldly flesh, to this outer man. And that will take years for you will get rid. You will get rid of anything. Christ will get rid of the outer man in time with fire and trials and persecution. And the inner man is already made perfect. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That's the inner man. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And that's the outer man. It takes a long time for God to get rid of me. And that's been my major problem is Jim Brown in my life. Your problem, now you may think it's somebody you worked for or somebody you're with or somebody that cheated you or lied to you. God had them do that to cause you to come to the realization that you were the problem. I've been my problem. That's why he said, let a man, if any man will come after, let him deny himself. He didn't say let him deny somebody else. Didn't say let him deny your boss. Didn't let him deny the, if any man will come after him, let him deny music promoters or, or real estate brokers. No! Let Jim Brown deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me and be in the same way with me. For where a testament is, there in verse 16, there must also by necessity be the death of the testator Testator diatithame means the one who sets apart or disposes or bequests. Bequeath means to leave something to somebody after you're dead. He said this cup is, this is your last will and testament. But this is not going to take effect till I'm dead about 15 to 18 hours later because this was the night before the Passover, and Jesus died on the Passover the next day. And this was, say, 9 o'clock at night. So he says, after I'm dead, about 18 hours from now, everyone drink the cup. He's not talking about drinking grape juice. I've said this over and over. There is so much to this. I have to repeat it so you can get a hold of a lot of it. And I want to put it down on DVD so that people can get it and watch it over and over and take notes on it. I've got so much to say about this. I'm just barely skimming the surface with it. So he says, For the testament is of force. Be by us. That's the same word. Make your calling an election. Sure, it means to stabilize. 
to stabilize your calling by adding the seven things in Second Peter 1 and 5. And you stabilize the testimonies of force after Christ is dead. It says men, when he said this cup is the New Testament, he has to die before you can drink the cup. Do y'all get that? I hope you do. He's got to die before you can actually die to self. And it's a permanent testament. When he said, drink ye all of it, he means drink it from now on. Death to self for the rest of your life. And that'll be hard to do. A testament is forth after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while Christ liveth. While the testator is alive. As long as Christ is alive, death to self. He's saying, drink the cup after I'm dead. He's not saying, gather around the cross after I die and everybody bring some grape juice with you and drink it. It's not what he's talking about. If you look in your McClinic and Strong under cup, he'll tell you to drink the cup meant to taste death. Now, and when Moses... Well, let me read 18. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. So the blood has to do with the baptism. And let me show you this. Do I have any time, Mike? Seven. Let me show you this. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law... He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying. Now I'm going to show you something you probably haven't seen. Saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. You think that's the first time that was used? Let me show you. Look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Matthew 26. And he says here, in 26, at the last Passover, he says in verse... In verse, there at the last Passover. Because the Passover in verse 2 of 26, you know that after two days is the feast of Passover, then you got, well, without eat the Passover in verse 17, and I will keep the Passover, verse 18, and then in verse 19, they made ready the Passover. And as they did eat, in verse 20, in the Passover, and when Jesus took the cup and gave thanks, that's the third cup of the Passover, the cup of blessing, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this blood of the New Testament, this is the blood, my blood of the New Testament. It's not the first time he said that. Look over here in, in Exodus 24. Exodus 24. You can't raise up grape juice and say this is blood of the New Testament. 
to drink of a cup of blood meant to undergo a death. Look here in Exodus 24 and 7 and 8. And Moses is meeting with the people in 24. And Moses took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord hath said we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, This is a blood baptism. Behold the blood of the covenant. Same thing Jesus said when he held the cup of him and said, This cup is the New Testament, the New Covenant, the New Deity, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. And he talks about all through here in verse 4. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up. They said in verse 3, Moses is reading the word of the law to him, and all the words which the Lord has said we will do. We're talking about death to self is doing the truth of the New Testament. And Moses took the blood. Well, let's read verse 4. Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and built an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen, and they don't take away sin. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled in the altar and took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. Moses took the blood and sprinkled it upon the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant. That's the same thing Jesus said. This blood is the New Testament. It's the new death to self and daily cross. And they had to die to the flesh to be obedient to God's word in the Old Testament, keep all of the rituals. But it was too much for them. So it was nailed to the cross. God called the Gentile Israel, the spiritual Israel, the church. I don't know how you can have all of this up here and not have a spiritual Israel. Oh, and most of the Baptists hate the idea of a spiritual Israel. Then you hate, then you hate that we're the temple of God and our hearts are the spiritual ark of the covenant and they're sprinkled and they've got the law written on tables of uh, fleshy tables of the heart just like they had it on tables of stone over here. Everything over here is equal to this over here. It's an algebra equation. This is equal to this. Am I out of time, Mike? I don't have any time to go back. I was going to take you back to 1 Corinthians 11. And when he says, this cup is the New Testament, last will and testament, that means if he's got a last will and testament... He's got something he's leaving us. We've got an inheritance. When you inherit something, that's when the dead person leaves it to you. I'm going to go into that next week. Of what he's left us. What he's left us is to drink of a cup, but there's another word. Over in First Peter, the second chapter. 
He's leaving us an example. That word leaving, hupo limpano, hupo, L-I-M-P-A-N-O, means to bequeath. Bequeath has to do with the last will and testament. He's bequeathed a list of things to us that he's leaving us, and they all have to do. It's an entire list, and they all have to do with death to self. Our covenant, our testament is death to this fleshly man. It don't matter whether you like it or not, that's what it is. If you belong to God, you've got to give up self. You've got to quit arguing with the world, quit fighting. I keep saying this. If God has saved few people, straight is the gate and now is the way, and few there be that find it. Many are going into the broad way, and most of the people you're fighting with out there in the world are vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. There's no need to fight the will. It's all the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this wonderful message of revelation you've given us. I don't even know what to say or what to ask for. Just deal with our hearts and crush the people that are your believers. Help them to realize they've got to die to the flesh. That's our covenant. That's our testament, our last will and testament. Thank you for these truths. Help us to take them into our heart and live by them, Lord. We'll praise you and give you glory and honor for everything that you've said. Deal with the hearts of the people. Humble them before you and make them to realize they have to die to all of this fighting flesh daily. Fight our battles. We don't need to be fighting anyone. Lord, if we'll stop, you'll start. You'll start being our defense, our re-reward. You'll take up the front and bring up the rear. We'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I didn't mean to go to all those places, but we did, didn't we?